Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here. Now, if you were napping or preoccupied when Megan was first giving the announcements, who can tell me what today is? Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. Super Bowl Sunday. Pretty exciting day for most sports fans and commercial watchers. And I think the game matchup is going to be a good one. Kansas City, San Francisco. I know you have your favorite, but we're looking forward to it. In addition to it being Super Bowl Sunday, it's also Community Christian Church's 28-year anniversary. <laughs> 28 years ago today, on this very day, February 2nd, 1992, we held our very first service at Burr Elementary School just down the street, and we've been going at it ever since. And we're excited about celebrating our anniversary, aren't you? I mean, I can't believe that just three years ago, it was 25 years, it seems like just yesterday. But the time's going by faster and faster. Today I'd like to begin a brand new four-part series entitled Money Talks. Can I get you to say that? Money Talks. And I guess you can interpret that title in a couple of different ways. First of all, you could take the George Washington $1 bill video that you saw just a couple of moments ago to the next level and imagine money coming to life and money doing the talking. And if that were the case, if money did talk, what would your money say? Now, that's a pretty interesting concept, and I'm sure most of you would be okay with it, but some of you might want to issue a gag order or have your money plead the fifth. Well, you'd be happy to know that we're not going to stick a microphone in front of a $10 or $20 bill. We opted to not go in that direction, to kind of scratch that approach, and I'm going to do most of the talking in this series. And what I'm hoping to accomplish, what I'm really hoping to be able to communicate to you is financial freedom for you. That's my heart's desire that you would have God's abundant blessing on your finances. I mean his very best blessing that he has to offer. That's what I desire for you. That's what I want for you. Please believe me when I tell you, we haven't put this four-week series together so that we can come after your money. That's not the goal. That's not the objective. What I really want to try and do is to teach you good money principles from the Word of God so that when it's all said and done, you will leave a lasting legacy, one that is extremely rewarding and God-honoring. And so again, I hope to do that with four different messages or four different money talks. And the subtitle for today's message, right here installment number one, is gut check. Can I get you to say that? Gut check. And the whole idea here is to make an honest assessment 
of where you stand when it comes to money. And right out of the starting gate, some of you might not be all that comfortable with a series like this. Maybe you'd rather us stick to more conventional, church-friendly topics like forgiveness and the love of God. Maybe from your perspective, whenever the preacher starts talking about money, he has a tendency to play the guilt card. And even if it's not intentional, you end up leaving church feeling inadequate or like you failed God with your finances. And how many know that's no fun at all? Not feeling that way. And so when I announce a money series, four weeks in a row, the whole month of February, some of you might be thinking, isn't that overkill? Well, I want you to consider this. No matter who you are or where you come from, every single person in this room who's of age will deal with money issues. All of us. No exceptions. We all handle money. We all have to manage money. We all have to make the books balance. And right now, some of you might be in a position where you have absolutely zero money problems. I mean, life couldn't be going any better for you than it is right now. You don't have any stress, no struggles. You make all the money you need. You don't have to worry about uh, rising cost of living. You don't have to worry about the price tag on anything. You have enough money to handle life comfortably. Some other people, they're living paycheck to paycheck, working really hard, maybe two jobs, doing their best to pay their bills and make ends meet. But at the end of the month, there's very little money left over. Certainly not enough money to establish an emergency fund or a savings account. And then some other people might be in a little trouble financially. Maybe even in big trouble. And maybe you've kept it to yourself and you haven't told anybody. But truth be told, if something doesn't happen and it doesn't happen quick, you might be in danger of losing everything you have. Regardless of your current financial situation, we all need money to live. Money is the apex of survival. And yes, I'm well aware of what Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but how many of you learned you need a little bread? Right. You need some bread. You need some money. And the amount of money is not the issue. What's paramount is the way that you handle money or the way that you manage your money. And you know who cares about that more than anyone else? God does. God cares about your finances. God is concerned about what you're going through right, right now when it comes to your, your money. And he cares so much that he gave us life-changing, life-altering instruction in his word. The pages of scripture are filled with tremendous and valuable financial advice. More wisdom than you could get from a gazillion Charles Schwab or Vanguard brokers. And please don't misunderstand me. Financial advisors are important. They're essential. I highly recommend them. I have one or two. But listen to me, please. Not having enough money to pay your bills and being forced to go into debt. 
not being able to save any money at the end of the month and not investing in the future or funding a retirement account is usually not a money problem. It's an attitude problem. And I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it as softly and as nicely and as diplomatically as I can. Not having enough money to pay your bills, having to go into debt, not having enough money to establish an emergency fund or a savings account, not having enough money to invest a in a retirement is usually not a money problem, it's an attitude problem. And right here, right now, in lesson number one of this Money Talk series, I mean this very first installment, what I want to try and do ever so slightly is adjust your attitude. And again, I want to do it nicely. I want to do it dipl diplomatically. I want you to understand that as much as God cares about your finances, I do too. And so I want to help you along. And in order to attempt to go after this adjustment in attitude, here's the first thing that you need to know. Psalm 24 and verse 1. Shouldn't be a big surprise to you. Most of you already know this verse of scripture. Maybe you've already memorized it. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for God founded it, he founded the world, and he established it. One more time. I want you to listen to every word. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for God founded it. He founded the world and God established it. Now, the way I like to say this very same uh, truth is everything belongs to God. And we have been teaching this principle as one of our main core values for the last 28 years without wavering. Everything around us, everything that we have, everything that we see, it was all created for God's glory. Everything belongs to God. But here's the problem. We say amen with an exclamation point. We nod our head in approval and in agreement. We may even think that we believe what David said in Psalm 24.1. But the truth of the matter is, we don't live this way. Not when it comes to our finances. The earth may be the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but the money I make, it belongs to me. That's the attitude a lot of people have these days. And to take it one step further, we say the earth is the Lord's, but the money I make is mine, and heaven help anyone who tries to tell me what to do with my money. My dear friends, who I love more than you will ever know, that is the prevailing attitude among people these days, including some Christian people. The earth may be the Lord's, but the money I make is mine. And for just a minute, I want you to forget about the tithe, okay? The 10% of our income that the Bible instructs us to give to God. We're going to probably get to the tithe a little bit later on in this series, but I'm not going to talk about the tithe today. And so when I quote Psalm 24, verse 1 to you, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that everything belongs to God, 
And when I suggest to you that there are some believers who are violating this particular principle, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about the way we choose to live, the way that we spend our money, the attitude that we have when it comes to our finances. See, most of us have bought into the American dream. And just so there's no mistake, God bless America. I will continue to say that, regardless of what you hear or read on social media. There is no place like the United States of America. It's the absolute best nation in the world. But as Americans, we have been programmed to think that our life and our happiness is all about us. It's about our goals and our aspirations, our ambitions, our dreams, all of our desires. Did you know that that's not the message we get from the Bible? Psalm 24, verse 1, the verse that we just quoted, and many other verses just like it in both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, teach us that life is not about us. Life is about God. We're not the center of the universe. God is. We're not the ones that should be concerned about everything that we want to do. We should be more concerned about what God wants us to do. And this amount of life, the time that God has given to us on this earth, is for his glory and for his purpose and for his pleasure. That's who we are. That's why we're called the people of God. Because we are called to serve our great God. Still not convinced? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure we are created. For your pleasure we are created. It's not the other way around. Our lives don't belong to us. Our lives belong to God. And that's the essence of Jesus' teaching all through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He repeatedly tells us in many different ways, if anyone will come after me, any man, any woman, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. As a believer, that's what you signed up for. That's what you agreed to do. When you accepted Jesus, you said, this is my expectation. This is what I'm going after. I'm going after serving and surrendering my life to God. That's what it means to have a lordship or Jesus' lord attitude. That's what lordship is all about. And last month in January during our 2020 vision series, we talked a lot about lordship. And lordship living is where we choose to surrender to the purposes of God. And you cannot remove finances from that equation. I'm going to say it again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Lordship living is when we determine and decide that we are going to surrender and serve the purposes of God, and you cannot remove finances from the equation. It's not like we can give our hearts to God, but we hold on to our checkbooks. It's not like, okay, Lord, we'll, we'll praise you, we'll worship you, we'll read the, the, the word of God, we'll memorize scripture, but don't mess with my income or with my money. You see, when we get to the place where we willingly surrender our lives to God, 
every thought, every idea, every decision, every activity, it's all centered around God's purpose, not our own. That's lordship, friends. And again, that's what we agree to when we become believers. Now, most people, when they acknowledge that they need to make a couple of adjustments in the way they handle their money, they will immediately try to do that with education and budgeting. And let me just say that there's nothing inherently wrong with that line of reasoning. How many of you know budgeting is good? It's commendable. Getting some coaching or some help when it comes to your finances, getting some advice, that's a step in the right direction. And we're going to promote that later on in this series. But budgeting and educating yourself, as, benefit, as beneficial as it might be, it's not a good starting point because it's not the root cause of the problem. So starting with a budget is not the place to go because it's not going to solve the problem. The problem is thinking or having the mindset that as believers, as long as we accept the gospel message and get saved, then we can do anything we want with our income. As long as we have bowed our knee at the cross and confessed with our lips the Lord Jesus, then my money belongs to me and I get to call the shots when it comes to money. Again, that's the attitude that you see, the prevailing attitude. Like, my money is mine. My money is mine because God has blessed me with it. The reason I have so much is because God has blessed me with it. And you're absolutely right. God has blessed you with everything that you have. James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us so. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift we have comes from above. God is the one who throws open the windows of heaven. This is a principle consistent throughout the scripture. God is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. Every blessing is because God, Jehovah Jireh, he opens the door of blessing to us. He pours out his provision on us. But the greatest blessing as a believer that you could ever attain, the greatest blessing that you could ever receive is to come to terms with this concept that I'm trying to explain to you today, found in Psalm 24.1, where you acknowledge deep in your soul and your lifestyle indicates it, that everything I have belongs to God. That everything that God has blessed me with is ultimately his. And once you get to the place of accepting and understanding that divine revelation, it will compel you to do some shifting in the way that you think. You see, this is what I'm trying to get across to you. It, it goes so much further than just my words. You have to receive a revelation of what I'm trying to say. That everything we have, from start to finish, not just good health, not just the blessing in favor of God for relationships, not just being in a good mood and having the joy of the Lord, but everything that we own is his. And it's for his pleasure. And when you understand that, when you can receive that, it will cause you to get a much different perspective on things. You'll look at things much differently than you do today. 
and you'll take that first step toward financial freedom. Now, uh, years ago, probably 16 or 17 years ago, when we were still in our phase one building, what we now call our youth center, we were holding services there, a gal came to our church on a Sunday visit. That was a kind of a service that we put together for people who didn't normally come to church. And so we'd ask people from our church to invite uh, their friends and family members and co-workers, and uh, we would, we'd call it a Sunday visit or visitor Sunday. There was a gal that came to that service, and during the service, she got rocked spiritually. You know what I mean when I say that? God got a hold of her heart. I, I mean, it was sudden. It was, it was unexpected for her. He just let her know that he was real. And over the next couple of weeks and months, this gal was in church every single week, every Sunday, on the edge of her seat. She was worshiping God. She couldn't get enough of God. She came to all of our events, all of our activities. She even got water baptized. It was one or among one of the most dramatic and radical salvations and conversions we've ever had here at our church. This gal was well on her way to understanding that God had a call on her life and that he was changing and transforming her from the inside out. Well, about seven or eight months after she came to the church, I stood up on a Sunday morning, just like I'm doing now, and I gave a message, just like I'm doing now. I talked about money. And at the end of the message, when the service was over, this gal, she charged the platform, the stage, like a raging bull, and she had fire in her eyes. And she said to me, how dare you talk about such a private and personal matter? You have no business, no right to talk about money in church. And she goes, I want you to know, I did not appreciate it at all. And she left church that day and never came back. Never came back. And talking to her friend who brought her to church, I don't think she ever stepped into a church again. See, she had the attitude, like so many others, I'll give my heart to God, but don't you talk about my money. Don't you address the money issue, because that's, that's mine, that belongs to me. You see, money can be a stronghold in our lives, even as believers. We think we get a handle on things, but money has the power to interfere with the call that God has placed upon our lives. Money can blind us spiritually. Money can change the trajectory of our commitment to him. And so the very first step in fixing the money issue or the money thing is a gut check. To stop for a moment, to take to heart what I'm trying to say to you, and do an honest assessment of where you're at when it comes to money. With regard to your own personal surrender to God and relationship with God, is it hands off when it comes to finances and money matters? Do you have the attitude, okay, pastor, have at it. Preach the word that you want and preach it with passion. Talk to me about anything the Bible has to say, but do me one favor. Don't come near my checkbook. Stay away from the money issue.
because that is none of your business. Is that your attitude? I believe that the scripture points to us surrendering everything we have to God and included in that surrender is what we own and what we consider our own and what we would fight somebody else for and say, don't you dare tell me what to do with my money. All right, just before we receive communion, I'd like to read one other passage. And, you know, I apologize to some of you. Some of you know me. You know I'm passionate about this. You, you know that I care about you. Others may be here for the first or second time. You, you don't really know me. And maybe this is a little bit direct. And maybe even you're thinking, you know, how dare you? I, I'm just trusting that the Spirit of the Lord will soften your heart. And if you'd make a, a commitment to come for the entire month, you'll see and understand where we want to go with this series and how devoted and dedicated we are to you getting financial freedom and having some peace when it comes to your finances, not getting all stressed out, not having so many struggles that you don't know how you're going to make it from day to day. The Lord promised us blessing on our finances. I want that for you. All right, one last passage here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. Listen to the heart of God. Speaking to his people, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if you're not careful, you just may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. My power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he, God, who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. God's about to lead his, promise, his people into the promised land. He's about to bless them in ways that they never would comprehend or understand. He led them out of Egypt, a place that they were enslaved for 400 years. And they were about to enter into this land of promise where they were going to know increase like they had never experienced before. He gives them a word of caution and exhortation. Why do you think God would say something like this to them? Why would he warn them? Because he knows the way that he created us. God remembers that he formed us from the dust of the earth. And he understands the tendencies that we have to be selfish and to be weak. And he was addressing the common misconception among us, which is a me mindset. It's just what we gravitate to as human beings. Me and my. The reason I have what I have is because of how hard I worked. My discipline, my determination, me getting up in the morning every day, 
even when I don't feel like it, going to work, me being smart enough to educate myself, me doing the necessary things I have to do in order to get ahead. This is how we think sometimes. This is what God was trying to address. And he said, regardless of where you get to, regardless of how much you have and how your stuff multiplies, don't ever forget, I'm confirming my covenant with you by allowing you to have things. Because my covenant is all about what I have, I'm going to give to you. And everything I am, I'm going to give it to you. So before you start thinking, it's because you're so great, remember it's because I'm so great. And I'm the one who allows you to have these things. You see, human selfishness and weakness is a part of the human nature. It's what we're born with. And nobody confronted this any better than David did in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verses 3 through 5. Here's what David says. I mean, he pours out his heart before God. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And the reason I've done this is because surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Friend, this is us. We can't get away from this. We have a sinful nature that we have been born with with the propensity to sin and to fail God and to make mistakes. Now, don't compare the sin nature with the sin record. You know all about the sin record. I preach this to you all the time. All of your past sins, what happens to them when you confess them and and you repent of them? They're gone. The scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. He blots them out. He, He chooses to remember them no more. All of the past sin is dealt with when you confess those sins. But we still have sinful tendencies because of our sin nature. And these are the things we have to contend with each and every day, even as believers. It's not one and done. We have to continually look at our hearts and examine them to see if we are fully obedient to God's word. And it's because we have this tendency to miss the mark. That's the power of the cross. What we talk about, why we celebrate the communion service. The cross is a place of repentance. It's a place of coming to terms in your relationship with God. It's not just a place for sinners to go to get salvation. It is that. But it's also a place of surrender for the believer. Surrender of everything that we have to God. All of it. So let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, I pray in these closing moments that you would be at work among us. It's been prayed several times already that we would be able to receive from you, Lord. I pray that all guilt, all shame would be gone. The enemy wouldn't lie to us. We're not... This is not about the things that we've done wrong, Lord. This is about trying to get it right. This is about taking the step, Lord, that we need to take so that we can enjoy your financial blessing on us. We thank you, Lord, for opening the windows of heaven. We thank you for everything that we have. We don't take it for granted. 
I pray, Lord, that you would address some of the entitlement that we have and let us know that we have what we have because of you. Everything we have is because of you. And I pray, Lord God, as we've been praying all week, that we would be able to open our hearts to receive from you. Holy Spirit, empower us to want to make some changes, to make that slight adjustment I was talking about earlier. We pray your blessing, Lord, on these closing moments as we receive communion together. Amen. Scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. On that very first occasion, when Jesus initiated the communion supper, when he shared it with his disciples during the Passover celebration, he said, every time you come together, every time you hold the bread and cup in your hand, every time you gather around the communion table, whether it's the first Sunday of the month or it's on a Good Friday or when you're in a prayer meeting. Whenever you take the time to receive this communion acknowledgement, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And the way that I want you to remember me is by declaring my death. That's it. That's what Jesus said. Proclaim, call to mind, declare my death. Don't just think about the resurrection. Don't think about the great victory that took place on the very first Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Don't think about the promise of eternity that I gave to you with what I did. I want you to think about and to recall and rehearse my death. That's what I want you to do. Every time you come to the communion table, spend a little time thinking about my death and my sacrifice. Now, do you remember why Jesus had to go to the cross in the first place? Anybody? Sin. It's the reason he was born. It's the reason we call him the Lamb of God. He was born to take away the sins of the world. He said, this is the very reason why I came into the earth. He was nailed to that cross for our sins. And Isaiah, how poetically he described it, 700 years before it happened in Isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgression he was crushed he was pierced for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him and by his wounds were healed among the plea that Jesus made when he appealed to us and asked us to remember his death on the cross he wanted us to think about the why the why the reason why 
he had to go to the cross. Because even in the best of situations, every single human being has a sin nature. And we are prone to making the same mistakes over and over again. And so as a part of the continual reminder for the believer, Jesus wants us to examine our hearts and take a look at where we're at when it comes to our relationship with him. There's nobody exempt from dealing with the desires of the flesh. And remember what Jesus said to his disciples on the very night that he was arrested? The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Paul the Apostle, when talking about sin in the book of Romans, he said, why is it that all the things I want to do, the, fear, the very activities and desires that I have when I wake up in the morning, when I pray to God and say, these are the things I'm going to do today, those are the things I normally don't do, and everything I say I'm never going to do again, the things that I, I just abhor and hate in my life, those things I'm trying to separate myself from, those are the things I usually do on a regular basis. I fall into that same pattern over and over again. That admission is consistent with us. And in the book of Galatians and many other places in the scripture writings, Paul gives us a list of fleshly desires and two that he uh, repeats over and over again are selfishness and greed. Selfishness and greed. Over and over again, he reminds us how this stuff wants to come up. And if there's one thing that brings out the selfishness in us more than anything else, it's the issue of money. It's money. We fight it. We see our attitudes. We see how we are. And it's just as hard for us to get victory over it. And that's why the gut check, friends, that's why the appeal to make an honest assessment of where we're at in this category of our life, this area of our heart. What is our response to God when it comes to what we have? Again, the very first step in financial freedom is surrender of finances to him. And so, Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts right now. We thank you for the cross, Lord. As we receive this communion celebration and blessing together, we declare your death. The reason you died on the cross was for our sins so that we could be made whole. Lord, we thank you for your grace that forgives us of all of our past sins. We thank you that we don't have to stand here guilt-ridden and full of shame for what we've done in the past. You've already forgiven us of those things. But Lord, today is what we're after. We're after today. We're after our thoughts for the future. Lord, we want to leave a lasting legacy, one that points to you. It's all about you. One that proves to our family members and to our friends and everyone who knows us that Jesus was the Lord of our lives. Not in some areas, but in every area. That's Lordship living. Full surrender. And Lord, as believers, we make our way back to the cross. We bow our knee there. And we say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry 
for allowing the fleshly desire of selfishness and greed to preempt your instruction about blessing in my life. Lord, I pray. I pray for the windows of heaven to open up over the families of Community Christian Church. I pray, Lord God, as a congregation, as we're willing to surrender this one area that seems so difficult, as we can surrender this area to you, Lord, it's going to make a marked difference in the way that we live, in our attitude, in the choices that we make. I thank you, Lord God, for supernatural blessing upon the finances of every household represented in this congregation because you led us back to the cross and you reminded us, Lord, of your death. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.